Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're joining us here today, whether you're watching live right now on demand later this week or maybe months or years later on a podcast. No matter where you're from, where you are, skeptic, seeker, brand new Christian from another faith or a long-term Christian, welcome today. Now, we're in week two in our last mini-series out of the book of Exodus. This is where God is calling our attention as a local church to two very important things. Portable worship and holy or right worship. Now, last week, we were reminded that we, if you are a Christian, have access to God anywhere by the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But today, we need to talk about why that access has to and must continue to make us a different holy people, even when we're going through these incredibly tough times. I used this illustration years ago. Let me do it again. My favorite time during the week, well, one of my favorite times, is garbage day. I love garbage day. I love organizing all the garbage in the house and putting it out, organizing all the recycling, putting it out, getting all the compost. And it's amazing. These magical people show up, these fairies with this amazing little thing called a truck, and they take all my garbage away and all my compost away and all my recycling away. Out of sight, out of mind, it's just done. Now, I want you to imagine if suddenly every piece of garbage and compost and recycling you have ever produced in your life was placed back in front of your home right now. Every piece of toilet paper you've ever used, uh, the, the, the diapers that were on my body and yours, tampons and Christmas paper and the gum you threw it when you were five and all of it, all the grossness of it, and then all the recycling and all the compost. And suddenly it's now in front of your home. And the person says, you have to deal with this. You just can't pay to take it away. You have to deal with this mess. Now, let me bring this home even more. A study that was done in the last few years tells us that the average North American produces 102 tons of garbage in their lifetime. Let me put that into perspective for all of us today. The average African male elephant weighs two to seven tons. So let me just do wrong math. But basically, imagine if 50 elephants worth of garbage is in front of your house. And I'm not even sure if that includes the compost. And suddenly we have to deal with our mess. See, that is what sin actually is. It's our mess. And for some of us, lots of what we've done, not all, but lots of it is out of sight, out of mind. But here's the problem. God is omniscient and omnipresent. He is everywhere, past, present, and future, and knows all things. God sees the garbage, knows the garbage, and that actually should be quite a sobering truth. But here's the problem. (laughs) Our culture... And actually, even many of you listening to me today who come regularly to Sanctus Church, you don't even agree with what God calls holiness, let alone what God claims is garbage slash sin. See, I hear this. I see this again and again on your Instagram feeds and on Twitter and Facebook, where I see the overtones of this, where people say, well, I fact check this against how I feel. And in my heart, I feel I need to be my true self. I feel you need to live your truth and I need to live my truth and I'm interested in being authentically me, which means I don't need to listen to your facts. I will create my own truth because I am my own person. My story is not your story and my story is full authority. You do you, I'll do me. I'll be me. 
And then phrases like this all over, love is love, live your truth, live your truth, live your truth, be yourself, follow your heart. Don't you know you're always special? The problem with all of that thinking, though there's some truth in it is, that doesn't believe in sin. That absolutely rejects the understanding that we're born in sin, and also it rejects the authority of God, the, the authority of God's word, and it doesn't actually believe that we're born sinful. So understand, to understand God and to understand the seriousness of sin and to, the, to find the answer to our sin issue and also to understand what right worship is, not just portable worship, every single one of us, skeptic, seeker, newer, long-term follower of Jesus, we need to go back so very far back to a time where something was started in the Jewish community called Yom Kippur. This was and is the Jewish annual day of atonement. It's like spiritual spring cleaning. It happens six months after Passover. Now, if you're going to take notes, write this down. The word atonement is key. What does atonement mean? It means to cover over, not cover up, cover something over. It means reparations, amends, compensation, penalty, payment for a wrong or injury, for loss and damage. Now, our culture is full right now of the call for reparation, amends, compensation. But our culture and many of us are not saying, but what do I need to compensate? What reparations exist between me and God? Oh. Now, in one sense, Israel did not look forward to the coming of this day. Unlike the other Jewish holidays, the Day of Atonement is marked by fasting and mourning and prayer. It is actually acknowledging sin and turning from sin. Oh, by the way, you know what confession means in, in the Christian vocabulary? Confession, confession is agreeing with what God actually calls sin and saying it is sin. It's like going to a dentist <laughs> to deal with multiple cavities and you don't ignore the problem. You're admitting the problem. Isn't it amazing, by the way, we don't fact check or say, well, that's my truth when it comes to a cavity. A cavity is a cavity is a cavity. I confess it. I'm facing it. Now, how can I get it fixed? And now we come to the Day of Atonement, which is the fix. It is the dealing with the massive garbage pile. Now, we're standing outside of the tabernacle again. And by the way, if you weren't with us last week, go back to last week's message because it outlines in depth what we're talking about this week. Now, as we enter in, we're going to be in Leviticus, by the way, Leviticus 16. As we enter in, a terrible thing has just taken place. It says in Leviticus 16.1, God spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. And God said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, he is not to come in whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover, which is on the Ark of the Covenant, or else he, Aaron, will die for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Again, we need to see how serious things are. Aaron's two sons walked into God's presence, his holy, perfect, all-consuming presence, without compensation, without covering, without support, without reparation, and they died. Now, here's the shocking thing. They were part of God's people. Not only were they part of God's people, they were actually legitimate uh, ordained priests. In other words, if being good enough or religious enough was the ticket to restore our relationship with God, they should be fine. They end up dead. See, this is the first thing we need to understand. God is holy, not just love. And holy, he's holy in two senses. Holy other, 
uncreated, separate from creation, and holy without sin. See, God can't stand sin. The Bible says he hates sin. Sin can't stand in his presence. He is such perfection. It's like when darkness is in a room and you turn on a light, it just burns up. Now that brings us back to the beginning of all of our stories. Genesis 2.9, remember? The Lord God made all the kinds of trees grow out of the ground in Eden, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food, but in the middle of the garden there was the tree of life. Ah, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in this garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat of it, you shall certainly, surely die. Now, I've preached this before. Let me do it again. Have you ever mused, ever wondered, ever asked out loud, why in the world would God place the second tree there in the first place? Is this some terrible cosmic setup? Is God a jerk tempting us and giving us something that we cannot handle? Is he an abusive, cruel father wanting his children to mess up so he can beat us? Testing us to see how strong we really are, but no, we can't keep up. So he yelled, no. He made us in his image. And the implication of image bearing is choice. Choice affirms us. This reflects us. This is who God is and who we really are. Without choice, you're just a robot or an animal. Yet we know we are more than instinct. We have choice. Life, death, relationship, rebellion, ongoing salvation or sin. And so they and we chose and we sinned and death entered the picture and Adam and Eve were removed from Eden. They could not stay in God's presence. This is why Paul years later in Romans 6.23 said, the wages of sin is death. So back to the foolish tragedy that took place. The two sons are now dead. God says you can't just enter into your creator's presence without covering or help. You've known this since... Eden. Verse 2, tell your brother, Aaron, he's not to come in whenever he chooses. Into that most holy place, behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover, on the ark, or he will die. So feel the gravity of this. He says, I will appear in the cloud. The physical presence of God himself is found in the Holy of Holies in the form of the cloud, the Shekinah glory, and it's right above the ark of the covenant. So we find out here that only once a year, the high priest is able to walk into that environment on the day of atonement. We talked about this last week. Let me just do a quick summary. The Ark of the Covenant had two functions for human beings and God. Three, actually. One, it's the literal throne of God on earth. Number two, the box contained the Ten Commandments. This is the vows between God and his people. And just above the Ten Commandments, remember between those two cherubim, is something called the atonement cover. And, and this is the very environment, the place where reconciliation and atonement take place, the place where sinful people become friends and allies, not enemy or hostile towards God. So watch this. The high priest is Israel's divinely appointed representative. Bone of their bone, flesh of their flesh. He's their brother. He's among them, yet he's different. He's their leader in worship. He's their only mediator. He's their only stand-in. And I don't know if you've thought about this. Moses can't even do this. Only Aaron. So Aaron, once a year, has to go before the creator of heaven and earth for and on behalf of all of Israel. And we know this because of what he's wearing. He wore this breastplate. And it says in Exodus 28, 21, there are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. So this one man 
comes to God right into his presence, face to face, wearing the names of God's people on his chest. And he begins the process, but unlike where we were last week, where we started in the very center of the tabernacle, the tent, and moved outwards, it actually starts on the outside and moves in. Verse 7. So the high priest is to take two goats and present them before God at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before God to be used by making atonement, by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now, a lot of history, a lot of stuff here. Just hold on with me. That scapegoat thing and sacrifice, it's going to matter by the end. Now, before Aaron can walk into God's presence to deal with everyone's sin, he has to deal with his own brokenness and his own sin. It says in verse 11, Aaron shall bring a bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his own household. And he's to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. So the first step to deal with the sins of Israel is dealing with his own stuff. All the priests at this time were part of his extended family. And if he did not take time to deal with his family sin and his personal sin, he would not be able to mediate and stand in for the rest of the people. So he needed to be covered first. Now, you've maybe wrestled with this or never talked about this. I know all this blood stuff is weird, but here's why blood is spilt. For Jews and for God, blood is the symbol of life. Life covers over death. Life covers over sin. And it's a life for a life. It's reparation. It's atonement. Well, next, after that takes place, the high priest is now going to go all the way into the most holy place, into the Holy of Holies, which is fraught with danger because God's literal holy presence is above the ark. It says in verse 12, he's to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of, of finely ground fragrance, fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. Now, we talked about this last week. So the high priest would take a censer full of burning coals and incense from the outside altar. He'd pass into the living presence of God through the curtain. Now in the Holy of Holies, where God's literal physical presence is just above the ark. And the very first thing he must do, it says in verse 13, he's to put incense on the coals before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the ark of the covenant. So Aaron will not die. Even after the sacrifice of the bull, he's still in danger. Now, the purpose of the smoke is to create another curtain, though because he's crossed into this environment, so he could not gaze upon the holiness, the presence of God. In other words, this is critical. There must always be a physical, spiritual barrier between a holy creator of heaven and earth and human beings, even those that are his people or his representatives, because our sin is that serious. Our garbage pile is that high. So the priest has now crossed the point of no return. He's immersed in God's presence, the place where heaven and earth touch, the only thing between him and God himself is this thin curtain of smoke. It says in verse 14, he's to take some of the bull's blood with his finger and sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. He shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times 
before the atonement cover. Seven in the Bible represents perfection. And remember, this is bull's blood. This is on behalf of him and his family. So he does that. Then he goes back outside and he's about to repeat the process for now all the people's sin. So back to the goats. <laughs> Verse 15, he shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do as he did with the bull's blood. He will sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. So the high priest goes back into the Holy of Holies where the ark is and now deals with everyone else's sin. Verse 16, in this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanliness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one is ever to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out. Having made atonement for himself, his household, and then the whole community of Israel. So listen to this again. God says the high priest is the only person allowed in his presence. One mediator, one representative, one path for forgiveness, one door, one intercessor, one sacrifice, one gate, one road, not many. And now he stands in the gap for himself, his family, and the whole nation of Israel. And then two last amazing acts take place. Verse 18. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord. That's the altar on the outside. We talked about that last week. And make atonement for it. He's to take some of the blood bull, the, the bull's blood, and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the Israelites. Now, this large altar on the outside is covered with the, bloods, the blood of bull and goat. And this is amazing. This is saying that all human beings, no matter their rank in religiosity, all have the same need. We all need, the pastor and the bishop and the person in the pew all have the same problem. And then we come to the last act. And this is actually where we get our idea called scapegoat from. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He's to lay both of its hands on its head and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sin, their garbage pile, and put it on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. By placing his hands on the goat, all the sins of Israel are pressed upon, transferred upon, laid upon this animal. That's where we get the idea of scapegoat from, right here. One person, one thing takes the blame and penalty, even though they have not committed the offense, the crime, the sin. But there's more. You notice someone actually has a job description here. Someone's actually in charge of walking the goat away. Can you imagine? Hey, listen, I got a great job for you. It's awesome. You just need to take this leash and walk this goat in the desert. Oh, just so you know, the thing on your leash is walking death. He is literally got all the sins we've done in secret and in public all on it. It's pure evil. Just take it for a walk. No problem. Do you want that job? Huh. Well, the goat will carry, verse 22, on itself all their sins to a solitary place. The man shall release it in the desert. And I'm sure the brackets is, and run away quick. 
both animals preserve the Old Testament concept of sin being taken away by another, other than the guilty party, other than the sinner. Now, only when you know all about tents and temples and clouds and blood and bulls and goats and lambs and curtains and holy smoke and holy priests, only when you understand all of that does our condition become real and God's holiness become real and God's love becomes real because then you understand why Jesus came. Why Good Friday is Good Friday? Why Easter is Easter? See, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment and expression of all of this. Easter and the whole Christian message is really saying, now all of this is fully accomplished for all people, not just Jewish people. Jesus is the day of atonement for the whole world incarnate, right? Well, number one, Jesus is our high priest. He stands in for us like Aaron did, but better, Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every single way as we have been, yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with wow, confidence, access, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Anyone have a time of need right now? I sure do. He allows us to come in. He allows us not to fear. He's the one who mediates and prays and stands and covers. He's our worship leader. He's our intercessor. He's our divinely appointed representative, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. He's our brother. He lived among us, and yet he's separate from us. That's the connection between Christmas and Easter. But he's not just our high priest. Jesus is our what? Sacrifice. He's the one who's killed. It's his blood that covers our sin. As it says in Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. Well, he's not just our high priest and he's not just our sacrifice. He is our permanent and forever sacrifice. It's not done forever, time and time again. Remember the priest sprinkled blood seven times to symbolize perfection. No, no, Jesus was perfection. Jesus never sinned once. And when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. Well, he meant it. That's why the author of Hebrews also said in Hebrews 10, three, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Mm. So Jesus is our high priest. He's our perfect, permanent sacrifice. But he's also our scapegoat. Jesus takes our sin. And not only did he have his sin, our sin placed on him, but have you thought about it? Just like the scapegoat, he was led out on Good Friday to a rocky place called Golgotha to die. He's led out of the city into the outer parts to die. And in that moment, all of our sin was transferred upon him, placed on him, and he had committed no sin. Jesus is the ultimate willing scapegoat. 2 Corinthians 5.21, hear the word of God. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus is our high priest and our permanent forever sacrifice, and he's our scapegoat. But not only that, he has become our permanent incense barrier between us and God. He stands between us 
His pure holiness covers us, shields us. That's why in 1 Timothy 2.5, you should memorize this verse. There is only one God and there's only one mediator standing between God and people. That's the man Christ Jesus. High priest, sacrifice, scapegoat, permanent incense barrier, but more, Jesus' body becomes the curtain we walk through to get into God's presence so easily now. Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Do you see the word confidence? We're not afraid to walk in there anymore. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is Jesus' body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Okay. Why is God, I mean, this is always relevant, but why is the Holy Spirit bringing our attention to this idea at this moment? One, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Grace, grace, grace. As Christians, we need to be reminded of what we take for granted. Not one non-Christian on earth can claim this. You can, they can't. And we do not need to fear the journey towards death or death itself because of the resurrection of Jesus. But most of us never have thought that we don't need to fear when we pray over our meal or walk into God's presence at devotion or face God at all because of Jesus. We have confidence. We get to draw near. We no longer are guilty. We will have meeting in our time of need because we have access. When we die, when we face the full expression of God's holy presence, for us who are followers of Jesus, it will be joy and love and healing, not judgment and death. Why? Because we're good? Because we're in? No, because of the work of Jesus. This day, even during this lockdown, even during all the frustration, let your heart be warmed. <laughs> move, move yourself to say thank you again. Tears, raise your hands, cover your face, kneel, shout thank you, or just sit silently, but say thank you, thank you, thank you. I know that uh, variations of the old song have come back in the last few weeks. What a friend we have in Jesus. Hey, everyone, <laughs> what a friend we have in Jesus, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. But this friendship, this access, has to produce a different people. It's what Peter wrote generations later as he unpacked the work of Jesus for us. 1 Peter 2.9, you might know this verse. But you, if you're a Christian, are part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, ah, now you're a people. You're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, oh, you've received mercy now. So dear friends, I urge you, I beg you, I command you as aliens and strangers in this world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Since you have access, and since you're clean because of the blood of Jesus, and since you don't have to sin anymore, do not conform to the evil desires that were placed on the body of Jesus when he became your scapegoat. Don't actually go back and intentionally start participating in things that Jesus had to spill his blood over. Don't give in to evil desires. 
The problem is our culture doesn't believe in absolute truth. And actually, again, not, not in an angry way, but many of you don't either. So, okay, what are the evil desires that war against my soul? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. Read the Ten Commandments. You'll know quick. Or Galatians 6. What sin? He says, well, it's the fruit of the flesh, impure thoughts, committing any sexual act forbidden by Scripture, idolatry, worshiping other gods, witchcraft, spiritism, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, a constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticism. Complaints and criticism. The feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. Wrong doctrine. Envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, all sorts of things. These acts, war, kill, maim, destroy, confuse, distract the people of God. Because you've been made holy, be holy. Because you're already positionally right, work it out down here. Be radically different with sex and sexuality. Be radically different with your money. Be radically different with power that you have. Be radically different in your relationships. Be radically different with your entertainment. Be radically different when you're online. Be radically different with what you say online. Be radically different in your worship. Say these words. God, since you have gone to such lengths in your love for me to know you and love you, I want to be holy. I want, ready, here it is. I want to love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, more than anything else I could do or say or anyone else because of what Jesus has done for me. This is always about a war of loves. Always. Now, by the way, just a note of hope. Because all sorts of us, including me, struggle all the time. Being holy is not an overnight thing. Positionally, when you said yes to Jesus, boom, done. But working it out down here takes time. It's like climbing a mountain. Uh, last week on Instagram, I shared this quote uh, by a woman from the, in the United States, and it's so good. She said, being holy rarely looks like an immediate ceasing of a particular sin. It more often looks like an increase in the distance between repeated sins and a decrease in the distance between committing them and confessing them. And then beautifully she said, so pastorally she said, God is patient with his children. Yes and amen. <laughs> but for us who are Christians, who were reminded last week that we have access to the throne room of God in any environment at any time, and man, has that been so brought home during this COVID lockdown moment, the access still has to produce a different people. When is the last time you said to the Lord unashamedly, unreservedly, make me holy, no matter the cost. Make me holy because of the love that you have for me. Make me holy. Let me end by speaking to a lot of you who are joining us. Again, you might be Christian in name only, or you might be a Muslim or a Hindu, or you might be spiritual or agnostic, atheist. Maybe you have the title Christian in your history, but... Mm, what is God saying to you today? Well, we're all like Aaron because we're all going to face God in the end. The question for you today is, will you be fully covered when you face him or not covered at all? Just like you can't be sort of pregnant, you can't be sort of covered. Are you going to be like Aaron or are you going to be like Aaron's sons? 
You want to know how all of this ends? Jesus is literally going to come back, physically come back. And it says in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit down on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. I want you to bring your mind back to that image of garbage and recycling and composting. That's our sin. God knows it all. He's a just God and we're going to have to give an account. That's why as human beings, we need an external savior. We need atonement. We need covering, payment. We need help. We need a savior. We need a high priest. We need a sacrifice. We need a scapegoat. We need a permanent incense barrier. We need a curtain so we can recover what we chose to lose so long ago in Eden. That's why Jesus claimed he's the only way to God. No other person, no other worldview, technology, sexuality, psychology, materialism, inventions, no other thing can do this thing. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Religion still ends up killing you as much as atheism will or agnosticism will or anything else will. If you put your hope in anything but Jesus, it leads to death because it's not enough. If you have never humbled yourself and admitted God is God and you are not, if you've never humbled yourself and said, I'm a sinner and I need salvation and I need, I need someone to take the garbage pile away because it's too big, then you just pray this right now, wherever you might be in the world. You say, dear God, I admit I got a big garbage pile and I'm a sinner. The garbage pile is too high and the bill is too costly. And I'm going to die when I face you and I'll die forever. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I ask Jesus to be my savior, my high priest, my sacrifice, my scapegoat, my permanent incense barrier, uh, the curtain, so I can know God as he wants to know me, as friend. Make me clean. Jesus, I accept your work on the cross. I believe you literally lived, literally died, literally physically rose from the dead, and now you're going to set me free. Give me eternal life. I turn from my garbage pile to you. In Jesus' name. And for us who are Christians, here's our simple prayer today. As things seem more difficult, more overwhelming, more daunting, more confusing. Seek first the kingdom of God. God, make me holy. As you are holy. I invite the holiness of God into my life. More and more, because out of holiness, love abounds. Start with me, because of your great work for me. In Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. Amen.